The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericahealth.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Too often we rely solely or primarily on conventional medicine to treat symptoms and disease. But these can mask the problems, so we never get to the root cause of the disease. There are better choices. Welcome to Generation Regeneration with your host, Sandra Guy-Malhotra. Conventional medicine does play an important role in effective treatment, but even more important are the daily lifestyle, food, and spiritual choices we make. Now, here is Sandra Guy-Malhotra. Welcome, everyone, to Generation Regeneration. I'm Sandra Malhotra, your host. Thank you for joining me, whether it be live or on demand. We love all of our listeners, and our goal with the show is to provide information and support for those who want to take ownership of their health and engage in a lifestyle that regenerates their body, mind, and spirit. Last week, our guest was Bhava Ram, a renowned author, yoga, and spiritual teacher, He discussed how he used the principles of yoga and Ayurveda to heal his broken mind, body, and spirit. His journey is quite inspiring, and if you missed it, you can catch it on demand. During the show, he described how he dove into several ancient yogic texts to gain the knowledge and wisdom that he needed, and noted that the Yoga Sutras by Patanjali were particularly important for his transformation. He mentioned how following the eight limbs of yoga outlined by Patanjali, allowed him, amongst many other things, to quiet his mind, relax his body, and move away from a state of chronic stress. He went on to explain that this was just not a nice thing to do because it had significant physiological consequences, such as moving the body from the fight-or-flight sympathetic nervous system to the parasympathetic nervous system, where healing and regeneration can occur. The eight limbs go far beyond this point, though, and present a way of living in the world. They are a roadmap for being a more relaxed, healthy, conscious, kind, and compassionate person. Even though many of us in the West associate yoga only with the physical postures, the asanas are just a small part of the yoga lifestyle. Interestingly, the goal of asana practice is actually to tone the body so that one can sit for hours in meditation and access sources of higher spiritual wisdom. The real end goal of the yoga lifestyle, therefore, is consciousness and enlightenment, not just the perfect crow pose. Mm -hmm. Our guest today is Darla Roselle, co-owner of Mindstream Yoga Studio in Fort Collins, Colorado, and a fantastic yoga teacher. I would know because I'm a member of Mindstream and admire the work that she and the other instructors do. And she will describe the eight limbs for us in detail, and it will become clear that although they were written thousands of years ago, they are just as relevant today. Darla, welcome to the show. Thank you very much. I'm, uh, I love being here. Thanks. Thank you. And without further ado, let's get started. There okay, are let's eight, do it. 
There are. There are eight limbs, and you could spend hours talking about them because they're so deep and rich. And in fact, you spend what four hours during teacher training yeah, going over our these training program. This is a it's, this is between a four and a half and a five hour lecture, and it really could even be longer than that. So we'll try to condense in as much as we can and still give a full outlook about what they about what they include. That's right. Let's just give our readers a preview of exactly how deep and rich yoga is. And we can get started with the first limb, which is called the yamas. And there are five of them. And right. these are essentially moral precepts or restraints. So go ahead. We're going to spend the rest of the segment on the yamas. Okay. So the yamas, so the, the first two limbs are a bit more dense than the subsequent six, just because they each have five particular elements to them. So the yamas refer to social behaviors, how a person treats others in the world, how a person interacts with others, and how a person behaves in society. So the first one is called ahimsa, and it refers to nonviolence. So this, of course, you know, um, avoidance of harm to any living creature. No one would want to physically harm someone. That's the obvious nonviolence. But also considering violence and nonviolence in your thoughts and your words. So Ahimsa wants you to have a conscious attempt toward compassion, thoughtfulness, and kindness, changing any behavior or thought pattern that may naturally be blameful or discouraging or unsympathetic or generally unkind will help a person well to be on his way to living a life with Ahimsa. So it really is to be conscious of whether or not your first reaction to someone, any, any type of relationship that you have, if your first reaction is negative, a conscious movement toward having it turn to a positive thought, um, all of that revolves around nonviolence. It's interesting second, how you mentioned oh, ahead, the, the thoughts ahead. and the words. Yeah, please, go ahead. I just wanted to put that in there. Very important, yes. just thoughts, thoughts of um, themselves. Because I think action is the obvious one. You certainly don't right. ever want to harm anybody. But if you think about it in, in, in words that you say to another person and thoughts that you have about another person or situation, it goes much deeper than that. So you really do want to be mindful of what you think um, as a reactor, as a reaction, and what you say as a reaction, and maybe be thoughtful first before you speak anything that may harm somebody's feelings. So the second yama is called satya, and that relates to truth and honesty. Not only, not only does this mean that we don't want to tell a lie. Of course, that is obvious. It means to speak the truth, and there is a difference. So often we exaggerate or embellish or assume or imply. And these can all fall into the category of lying or maybe misplacement of the truth, if you will. When we speak, it should be with an honesty. And if we cannot speak with pure truth, because perhaps we feel it may harm someone's feelings or disrupt a subject that is not our subject to disrupt, then it is best we just say nothing at all. It's better to not speak than to speak untruthfully. 
And as we know, honest communication forms the foundation of any healthy relationship. So, for example, cheating on your taxes is not an honest communication with the government any more than telling your significant other that you have to work late when really you just want to go out for a drink with your friend. Um, So to think honestly and to speak honestly is really what Satya is about. And it, it specifically has to do with the relationships that you have with another person or with another entity as a, as a person. So the entity being the government, as an example, another person being your significant other in the examples that I gave. Or even yourself. One thing that sure. uh, the teachers at Mindstream have expressed in every class is be honest with yourself during the class also. If you really aren't up to doing a handstand, be honest with yourself. Don't, don't do it. That's exactly right. And if, if you're forcing yourself to um, perform a challenging posture that you're not ready for yet, be honest with yourself and just be okay with where you are. Try that particular posture at a time where you're feeling stronger or... Um, you know, have a little bit more experience. That is, you're right, that's very important. So that brings us to the third yama, which is called asteya, and that relates to non-stealing. Of course, theft of a tangible item is the obvious meaning for asteya. From early on, whether or not we grew up in a religious home, most of us have heard of the Ten Commandments, and thou shalt not steal is a widely recognized commandment. But more deeply than the tangible, this yama addresses the intangibles we can take from others, things such as time. Um, So make sure that you're prepared when you have a meeting. Um, make sure you're not late for an appointment. If you, if you steal time from someone else, even though that's an intangible, it really isn't practicing Asteya. Stealing the spotlight off of someone else, stealing appreciation or recognition from someone. If you're part of a group project and the client wants to give credit, make sure that the entire group gets credit and not just you. Stealing attention, stealing knowledge, perhaps maybe even stealing innocence from a child. As an example, revealing a secret such as Santa or the Tooth Fairy or exposing a child to adult behavior or adult conversations when it's too early for them to learn those things. Um, That's stealing innocence. Stealing opportunities or ideas from other people. Maybe even just stealing enjoyment. I've been to parties before where one spouse is having a great time and another spouse, you know, sitting off in a corner clearly not having fun. After a while, the one that's having a good time feels guilty because their spouse is not having fun. That spouse that's not having fun is really stealing enjoyment away from the spouse that is. So when we take anything away from another person for our own benefit or for our perceived safety, then steya occurs. The opposite of steya is asteya, which is the behavior that that we are after in this particular yama. So moving on to to the fourth, the fourth is brahmacharya, and that is lust control and non-access. Often interpreted um, brahmacharya often is interpreted to mean abstinence or celibacy, but it's my belief that Patanjali did not intend for it for that purpose. As a matter of fact, many sages of his time all the way through to today who believe in the eight-limbed path 
have spouses and families. Therefore, I think the deeper meaning relates to using our sexual energy or our passions and our lustfulness to find a divine wholeness rather than engaging in excessive or meaningless sexual behaviors. The idea is to practice holiness instead of indulgence because living in excess takes away from appreciating the divine and really at the end of the day, that's what this is about, is, is our, in, our Ill ability to appreciate the divine that we believe in or the divine within ourselves. And then the final yama is called aparigraha, and that is non-possessiveness. So avoidance of avarice or greed, hoarding, collecting, monopolizing, these are all keys to this yama. A person need only take what they have earned. They don't need any more. They only need to take what they need and no more. It's not necessary to stash away for a rainy day. It's overbearing when a person hogs the conversation. It's too much when you possess more objects and items than what you use regularly. So to learn to release the attachment to things, quote-unquote things, and adopt the belief that simplicity is best is the idea of brahmacharya. So those are the five elements. We can go over them again, or we can talk to, about any one in particular more specifically, if you like. Well, right now we're actually about ready to go on our first break. Oh, So that was a really nice description of the five yamas, and I particularly appreciate the last one about non-attachment, because that one is actually huge. That one can have very large repercussions throughout your entire life in terms of attachments to people, things, objects, power, money, (laughs) all of it. So uh, although Darla went over these five very quickly, if you stop and think about them, they're actually very significant and embodying them can have a huge change on how you approach life and how we actually get along together in society. That's exactly right. Yeah. On that note, let's go ahead and get ready for our first break. This is your host for Generation Regeneration, Sandra Malhotra. And we're talking to Mindstream Yoga Studio co-owner and yoga teacher, Darla Roselle, about the eight-limbed path of yoga. Thank you for joining us and stay tuned to learn more about this fascinating subject. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. A new health and wellness community is coming in 2015 called WholeTreatment.com. As a practitioner, you can increase your visibility by creating a detailed profile, posting blogs, advertising online and live events, and accepting online appointments. As a client, you can learn about holistic healing modalities, research practitioners to find the best one for you, and conveniently book online appointments, all for free. We aspire to change the way healthcare is practiced, and together we can do it. Visit whole-treatment.com to find out more. GMOs, or genetically modified organisms, are plants or animals that have been genetically engineered with DNA from bacteria, viruses, or other plants and animals. These experimental combinations of genes from different species cannot occur in nature or in traditional crossbreeding. 
Most developed nations do not consider GMOs to be safe. Right now, over 80% of the corn and soy grown in the U.S. is genetically modified, and we should be able to choose whether we wish to consume these foods or not. Visit non-gmoproject.org forward slash learn dash more. Have you become a member yet? Sign up now to become a member of Voice America. It's always free and easy. Plus, you get to take advantage of some great member benefits. Get unlimited access to millions of hours of on-demand content across all of our channels. Keep track of your favorite episodes, shows, and hosts in your own customizable library. Find out what shows you might be interested in based on your favorites. Plus, you get insider access with our newsletter. Membership gives you more. Sign up at voiceamerica.com and click register at the top right. A fresh look at today's health. Voice America Health & Wellness. This is Generation Regeneration with Sandra Guy Malhotra. To connect with Sandra, send an email to Sandra Malhotra at wcubedcommunity.com or tweet at Sandra G. Malhotra, hashtag WeAreGenR. She looks forward to your comments. Now back to Generation Regeneration. And welcome back. I'm your host, Sandra Malhotra. And today we're talking to Mindstream Yoga Studio co-owner and yoga teacher Darla Roselle about the eight-limbed path of yoga. We cover the first limb in the first segment, which are called the yamas, which are moral precepts. And if we all followed those more closely, we would have a more civil and compassionate society for sure. This is something for all of us to consider and work toward. And now let's move on to the second limb known as the niyamas, which are more personal observances or rules. And there are five niyamas as well. So Darla, I'll turn the floor over to you to explain what they are. Okay, sounds good. Thank you. So like Sandra said, the niyamas refer to an inner discipline and personal responsibilities. It also relates to how a person treats himself or herself. So the first niyama is called saucha, and that relates to purity or cleanliness. Now, this refers to body both inside and out, as well as a person's surroundings. So keeping one's body clean, bathed, groomed, wearing clean clothes and all over maintenance of freshness, that's the obvious one. You want to be a clean person. You want to give off of a clean look. When you feel clean, when you are clean, you act clean. You're more confident. Also, though, you want to be clean and pure in thoughts and ideas. You want to maintain kind, compassionate thoughts. It helps the mind stay pure and free from negativity. It's very easy to let something negative come in, but when you are more confident and you feel clean and you are clean, those negative thoughts tend to stay away and you invite more positive ones in. With regard to your surroundings, live in a clean, well-picked-up home. That includes your garage, your room, your car, your lawn, any other place that you spend time, perhaps even your office at work. With regard to inside, eat healthy foods, raw, organic, fresh when possible, breathe clean air or at least as unpolluted as possible, drink clean, unadulterated water. So by maintaining a clean and pure daily life, your mind can be free from clutter 
and your body can be healthy for activity. You want to prepare yourself for this inevitable meditation that is so important in a person's uh, daily activity or at least their life if you can include it. So to be clean and to um, have pure thoughts and an uncluttered surrounding will, will really help a person prepare himself for that. The second niyama is called santosha, which is contentment. The idea of this niyama is to be content with what you do have rather than be jealous or dissatisfied with what you don't have. This not only refers to possessions, but to physical attributes, skills, talents, personal and professional relationships, families, health, careers. It's so easy to look at others and see what they have, but then not appreciate what you yourself have. You, you, we, we always hear of the grass is always greener on the other side. You know, that's a, I think that's an important message to remember because oftentimes while it looks like the grass is greener, it really isn't. Your grass is green too. Um, Santosha refers to in the, the cliche that everything happens for a reason, which in essence suggests that we are who we are, we have what we have, and we do what we do because there's a purpose for everything. So while Santosha does not suggest that we remain complacent or without motivation for improvement, quite the opposite. It means that as we progress on our daily journey toward happiness and enlightenment, to be at peace with who we are will help us to continue to grow. That brings us to the third niyama, which is called tapas. And tapas refers to self-discipline. Um, our own personal fire that burns within. And that can be seen in different ways, can be manifested in different ways. Passion, survival, perseverance, courage, the will to never give up. All of these can be examples of our inner tapas. Sometimes you see this energy and that burns within someone. Some, some people, the flame is barely visible, while in others it appears to be an inferno. Um, we all know of people in our lives that have vibrant personalities, bursting with energy. We also probably all know someone who is subdued and reticent. Um, that doesn't mean that the subdued, reticent person doesn't have tapas. It just means that his or her tapas is manifested in a different way. One's ability to feel that inner fire and direct it toward enlightenment and improvement and goodness uh, and the ability to honor the divine within us all encapsulates what tapas is and does for us. Tapas also relates to our physical body, so correct posture, healthy eating, regular exercise, focused breath. All of these can combine to create and maintain strong tapas within us all. And that brings us to the fourth niyama, which is called svadhaya. Svadhaya is self-study, so an ability to look at yourself and examine what you see. The, the, um, the first three letters, S-V-A, means self in Sanskrit, and then adhaya means inquiry or examination. So a, per- a person's ability to look within and not only see what is quality, 
but what can be improved is an important part of Svadhyaya. To acknowledge personal limitations and accept them as your own uniqueness is just as important as appreciating your skills and working toward growth. So to intentionally and consciously remain self-aware with all actions, efforts, and thoughts teaches, uh, teaches us centeredness and acceptance and appreciation, and it helps us to avoid self-destruction and self-loathing. I think um, it's safe to say that there are a lot of people out there who, when they, when they do look inward, they tend to see what needs work, what they don't like about themselves, what they want to improve. It's more difficult to admit all of the great things that are about you because you don't want to appear boastful or egotistical. Um, and it's, it's a balance between the two to really acknowledge what you do have to offer the world and what you yourself have to offer yourself in addition to acknowledging what limitations you have, what restrictions you have, and appreciating that you, that you can't be everything, but you still are a wonderful person. And then that brings us to our last niyama, which is called Isvara Pranidhana, and that is devotion to a higher power. Now, no matter what your personal beliefs about a higher power are, recognition that a force larger than you exists within the universe provides a start to this niyama. Those that believe in a higher power, I think, more readily can accept this higher power, that this higher power in their life provides guidance for them throughout their life, and they, and they feel an automatic sense of devotion to that higher power. Now, those people who don't necessarily believe in a higher power, or at least in their life it hasn't been proven to them that one exists, that's okay, too. But to at least acknowledge that there may be something larger than you out there, an energy force of some kind, if it's not a person, perhaps an energy force that you can actually believe has a power, um, whether or not it has power over you, but at least has a power that others, if not yourself, can feel devotion to because it is more than what you are and more than what you can be. So that is the five niyamas. Very well put. Yeah, very well put. And if we take a look at the yamas, those are a very great example of how to live with the highest integrity, really, with other people. And then with the niyamas, it's about really being able to quiet your mind, remove the clutter, which is really quite necessary ultimately to be able to meditate because even if your mind isn't too cluttered, getting it to slow down and into a quiet meditative state is not easy to do. It does does take a fair amount of practice. And so clearing out all of the clutter, your physical clutter, your mental clutter, really helps in that pursuit. And then with the other ones that you mentioned, a really nice roadmap for just really finding personal contentment and happiness and non-attachment. And the last one that you mentioned about the higher power, um, that one also is moving beyond ego, isn't it? 
It really is. It really is. That's exactly what you do. You, you have to pl- place your belief in something that you can't tangibly feel. That's difficult for a lot of people to do, but really necessary if you want to push through what could be or what might be, even though you can't see it or touch it. That's right. Okay. And believe it or not, we're ready for our next short break. Thank you for the wonderful description of the Niyamas. And this is your host for Generation Regeneration, Sandra Malhotra. And we're talking to Mindstream Yoga Studio co-owner and yoga teacher, Darla Roselle, about the beautiful eight-limbed path of yoga. We covered the first two limbs thus far, and we'll keep moving on for the next segments. So please stay tuned for more. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. GMOs, or genetically modified organisms, are plants or animals that have been genetically engineered with DNA from bacteria, viruses, or other plants and animals. These experimental combinations of genes from different species cannot occur in nature or in traditional crossbreeding. Most developed nations do not consider GMOs to be safe. Right now, over 80% of the corn and soy grown in the U.S. is genetically modified, and we should be able to choose whether we wish to consume these foods or not. Visit non-gmoproject.org forward slash learn dash more. A new health and wellness community is coming in 2015 called wholetreatment.com. As a practitioner, you can increase your visibility by creating a detailed profile, posting blogs, advertising online and live events, and accepting online appointments. As a client, you can learn about holistic healing modalities, research practitioners to find the best one for you, and conveniently book online appointments, all for free. We aspire to change the way healthcare is practiced, and together, we can do it. Visit whole-treatment.com to find out more. Have you had a chance to check out Voice America's online magazine and blog, Press Pass? If you love our hosts and shows, check out articles that give an even deeper perspective. Plus topics about health and fitness, movie reviews, philosophy, business tips and tactics, spirituality, positive thought, current events, and even more about your favorite host. It's just a click away at VAPressPass.com. That's VAPressPass.com. VA Press Pass by Voice America. All access, all the time. Helping you make informed decisions for your life. This is Voice America Health and Wellness. This is Generation Regeneration with Sandra Guy Malhotra. To connect with Sandra, send an email to Sandra Malhotra at wcubedcommunity.com or tweet at Sandra G. Malhotra, hashtag WeAreGenR. She looks forward to your comments. Now back to Generation Regeneration. Welcome back. I'm your host, Sandra Malhotra, and today we're talking to Mindstream Yoga Studio co-owner and yoga teacher, Darla Roselle, about the eight-limbed path of yoga, which is very rich and beautiful and a wonderful roadmap to live a peaceful and content and fulfilled life. And we covered the first two thus far called the Yamas and the Niyamas. And we're going to move through the next four in this segment. So Darla, I will turn it over to you because there's a lot to discuss. There is. Thank you. I appreciate it. So we've moved on, and now we're at the third limb of the eight-limbed path, and that limb is called asana. 
Asana means in Sanskrit posture or pose. So it actually relates to the physical practice of yoga. And um, what Patanjali meant for this limb is to at least incorporate and, and, and teach how important it is to move the body. In the Western world and possibly elsewhere, the practice of yoga postures is used as a workout or for the purpose of staying physically fit. And while that is important, according to Patanjali, it is not the ultimate purpose. Patanjali and other sages believed that the practice of meditation holds a much deeper value to an individual if that person can meditate with a body free from distraction and a focused mind. With those two physical attributes, a person can fully and easily meditate for extended periods of time. Well put. There are hundreds of yoga postures out there and thousands more variations to those yoga postures. In vinyasa, which is the practice of connecting movement with breath, that is the type of yoga that I teach mainly, a person could literally take or teach a different class every day for years and not repeat the same sequence of postures. Now, that's not to say a person wouldn't practice the same postures. What I mean is that there could be a different order that the postures are taught and varying modifications to each posture. Uh, There's a typical structure that a body can follow or be guided through so that a proper warm-up and stretching of muscle groups is conducted before longer holds, a faster pace, or more physically challenging postures are introduced in a class. But to fluidly flow into and out of postures, transitioning from one to the next, and using our breath as a stability and grounding tool for focus, those are the keys to a healthy yoga posture and practice. So Patanjali said that with a healthy yoga practice, meaning the practice of yoga asanas, a person can begin to free himself of ailments, stresses, and tension. And by maintaining a healthy practice, a person primes himself for the ability to sit for lengthy periods of time and meditate. Uh, in addition, asanas produce tapas, and we talked about tapas already. That's the third, uh, the third niyama, um, and that is an inner heat. And to generate that inner heat within our body, physically heat up our body, it helps to purify and detoxify us just automatically. So the practice of, of asanas is important not only f- to physically become more fit, but even more so to be able to cleanse our body, purify our body and mind in order to sit um, without the distraction of physical ailments and meditate. That well brings us to, go ahead, I'm sorry. No, I was just complimenting you. Very well put. Oh, good. Thanks. So that brings us to our next limb, which is the fourth limb, pranayama, mindful breath. The word prana means life force, the energy that exists within us all through our breath. Pranayama is the awareness of that life force and mindfully controlling or monitoring that breath. The one thing that we are assured from the moment that we enter into this world until the moment our body leaves it is breath. It is the one constant that we have. 
family changes, people are born into it, marry into it, they're invited into it all the time. Our friends change, jobs change, even our likes and our dislikes change through the course of our lives. But the one constant we have is our breath. Ability to use that breath to reduce heart rate, to limit stress, to relax, and to experience calm is what the fourth limb pranayana relates to. When we can balance the flow of energy within us, then the next step is to direct that flow inward to the chakra system. Balanced chakras, which I agree is a topic for another day, helps maintain a well-functioning body, which then allows for a person's ability to practice the asanas. In Patanjali's Yoga Sutras, he states the connection of pranayama with the movement of body asanas is ideal for purification and self-discipline of the mind and body. So as we said before, practicing the asanas produces heat or tapas within the body. The body cleanses itself through sweat, but also through breath. So deep inhales allow clean oxygen into the lungs, and then deep exhales release the toxins from us. So by finding a rhythmic breath, a cadence, if you will, mindful inhales and exhales, a person can calm the nervous system, reduce anxiety, curb cravings, and foster sleep, all very important in order to prepare our body for meditation. As our controlled breath becomes a mindful practice in daily life, the mind then is freed from stress and open to focus and concentration, therefore more able to appreciate the divine and, of course, appreciate the divine within. And that brings us to our fifth limb, which is pratyahara. I think this particular limb, at least for me and my experiences, is, is one of the most challenging. And I don't know if that's just me or if that's everybody, but this is a control of senses, or sometimes it's also referred to as a withdrawal of senses. Um, I think most yogis can identify with this as something that they need to address in their life or at least would like to work on. And I want to give two different examples because um, I think in a mind, when someone meditates, a person has these, this ideal setting for what meditation should be like, and then there's the realistic setting. So first picture a man sitting cross-legged and alone on a mountainside among flowers. The blue sky accentuates the wispy clouds as they float overhead, The breeze ensures the temperature remains pleasant and provides a hint of the wildflower aroma. This man is sitting there setting himself up for the ideal circumstances to meditate. Now to the contrary. Picture this. A woman sits in her bedroom floor alone and cross-legged. Her laundry sits in a pile in the corner as the essential oil diffuser mists a lovely citrus blend. Her cell phone rings about the same time as the cramp in her right leg flares up. She knows she needs to pick up her kids shortly but isn't quite sure what she will make for dinner, but she's determined she's going to meditate for five minutes with her eyes closed. Now, both of these scenarios describe two different people who want to meditate, but with all of the outside stimulation, the woman takes notice of everything, and meditation likely will not happen for her. 
The reality is full concentration and focus meditation may not occur for the man either. Why is that? It's because our senses play such a huge role in our lives. Seeing, feeling, smelling, touching, tasting, hearing, all of it drives our thoughts, our choices, and our decision-making. So the sixth limb of Pratyahara addresses the need to withdraw or detach oneself from these senses, all senses, in order to allow ourselves to turn within. So whether it's for yoga or meditation or any other form of inward focus, a person cannot truly experience inward focus without restricting themselves from outer sensory distractions. So by detaching from our surroundings, our cravings, our desires, our to-do lists, our responsibilities, and of course, our five senses, we can finally experience peace and calm. Uh, No longer paying attention to an itch or a hunger pang or whether a light has been turned on or if a smell enters the room will allow one to practice pratyahara. Now, I absolutely recognize this is easier said than done. I myself, like I said, have a really difficult time with this. So it's important to understand that there are things that go on around you in daily life all the time. There always will be. Your senses are there for a reason. They work. But to be able to control them to a point where you no longer allow them to affect you so that your body and your mind are open and able to focus just on meditation, then you'll be well on your way. And that brings us to the sixth limb, which is dharana. Dharana is concentration. Dharana actually means immovable concentration of the mind, which in essence means to focus. So Patanjali believed that a person must practice the limbs Um, limbs three, four, five, before dharana can be attained. So in order to even try to get to dharana, you need to have a, a a yoga practice of asanas, you need to have a breath practice, and you also need to have pratyahara where you can withdraw your senses. If you don't have those first, you can't move on to concentration. So by engaging in the physical asanas, a person can prepare himself for rhythmic breath. Once a mindful body and breath connection is made, then a person is ready for sensory withdrawal. By maintaining a healthy body through asana practice, enabling an aware breath cadence through pranayama, and erasing the temptation to be distracted by surroundings and senses, a person can concentrate. When a person is able to concentrate, the mind can focus on a single task or point and enable himself to become completely engrossed with that focus. Dharana has occurred when that true full focus is achieved. In, uh, quote, The Eight Limbs, written by William J.D. Duran, he he says, and I think it's very good, so I'd like to quote it, the objective in dharana is to steady the mind by focusing its attention upon some stable entity. The particular object selected has nothing to do with the general purpose, which is to stop the mind from wandering. So mantras can also help. You can either stare at an object, a vase as an example, and think of only that vase when your mind stops to wander, 
or if you have a mantra that you'd like to come back to, a saying or a quote or a word, that happens, that, that's good too. When in focus, if the mind wanders, come back to your mantra or come back to that object. Repeat it as many times as necessary until you can become focused again. This may happen once or several times. That part is not important. The wandering mind will temper the more, the more practice a person gives this mental focus. Nice. Nicely put. Yeah, I think that these four are where the rubber really hits the road as far as toning the body, controlling the breath, and being able to really block out all of the external stimuli, which we're just bombarded with these days. Oh, we are. And being able to look inward and get into a calm meditative state where you can access that higher awareness and higher consciousness. Yes. So and if it's you almost, can do it amongst all the surroundings and chaos that you have in your life, yes. even better. That's right. Yeah, which is the reality. I mean, we're never going to have that perfect, quiet mountaintop where (laughs) we can just slide into meditation. That's not going to happen. Okay, thank you. And that brings us to our final break. This is your host for Generation Regeneration, Sandra Malhotra. And we've moved quickly with Darla Roselle through the first six limbs. And we will wrap up the final two on the other side. Thank you so much. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. A new health and wellness community is coming in 2015 called WholeTreatment.com. As a practitioner, you can increase your visibility by creating a detailed profile, posting blogs, advertising online and live events, and accepting online appointments. As a client, you can learn about holistic healing modalities, research practitioners to find the best one for you, and conveniently book online appointments, all for free. We aspire to change the way healthcare is practiced, and together, we can do it. Visit whole-treatment.com to find out more. GMOs, or genetically modified organisms, are plants or animals that have been genetically engineered with DNA from bacteria, viruses, or other plants and animals. These experimental combinations of genes from different species cannot occur in nature or in traditional crossbreeding. Most developed nations do not consider GMOs to be safe. Right now, over 80% of the corn and soy grown in the U.S. is genetically modified, and we should be able to choose whether we wish to consume these foods or not. Visit non-gmoproject.org forward slash learn dash more. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. This is Generation Regeneration with Sandra Guy Malhotra. To connect with Sandra, send an email to Sandra Malhotra at wcubedcommunity.com or tweet at Sandra G. Malhotra, hashtag WeAreGenR. She looks forward to your comments. Now back to Generation Regeneration. And welcome back. I am your host, Sandra Malhotra. 
And we indeed covered a lot of ground in the first three segments with Mindstream Yoga Studio co-owner and yoga teacher, Darla Roselle. She gave us a really nice introduction to the first six limbs of the eight-limbed path. And now we're going to wrap up with the final two limbs and then provide some recommendations as to where you can go to learn more. So, Darla, please go ahead and talk about the final two. Okay, thank you. So limb number seven is called Diana. Some people pronounce it Diana, but I think it's pronounced Diana. And that is a devotion to the divine or a meditation on the divine. So whereas Dharana, which is the sixth limb, focuses on whereas it is focus and allowing yourself to use an object to come back to when your mind wanders, dhyana is concentration without the need for the object or mantra. The goal of meditation is definitely not nothingness or a blank mind along with a blank stare. It's actually one's ability to reach this heightened sense of awareness. And this fine-tuned concentration comes with significant practice and a true handle on the first six limbs, specifically, though, limbs three, four, five, and six. So while the yamas and the niyamas are really important, they really do deal with a person's ability to react and behave um, in society with other people and how they feel about themselves. Those are specific. But limbs three, four, five, and six really help us get to a position where we can meditate and appreciate the divine far more specifically. That really is what the goal is. So this process takes time and dedication. And to fully appreciate its value means that objects and surroundings, relationships, behaviors, and thoughts have now combined and morphed into one thing, the true appreciation and ability to see our connection to the divine within. The inner focus to be able to combine all of these elements and still allow our mind to perceive and appreciate the world for what it is beyond what we see and what we have experienced takes us into the practice of dhyana. So with this focus, it is said, things are seen more clearly because illusions and falsehoods that have clouded our thoughts and judgments no longer exist within us. And it seems almost unattainable to be able to focus so intently that literally nothing else gets in the way. Nothing distracts us. Nothing else, is, nothing else matters. But really that is where, where we are in Diana is everything that surrounds us, anything that's important to us at any given moment or time, past or present, really doesn't matter. Any beliefs that we have had or conversations that we've been involved in, they don't matter. To, to be in this focused state of mind is all we are and, and, and all we want to be in, in, at any given moment during dhyana. And that brings us to our very last limb, which is called samadhi. And samadhi is union with the divine. The word samadhi itself means to merge. So a transition, excuse me, a transcendence beyond consciousness. Not unconsciousness, but all the senses are at rest. The body is healthy, the breath is rhythmic, but the mind is alert and able to reason. 
our soul is liberated through this ultimate awareness and our connection to the divine is realized. In that same um, article written by William J.D. Duran, he describes it as there is an ending to the separation that it is created by the I and the mine, M-I-N-E, of our illusory, illusory perceptions of reality. The mind does not distinguish between the self and non-self or between the object contemplated and the process of contemplation. The mind and the intellect have stopped, and there is only the experience of consciousness, truth, and unutterable joy. So it really is this true transcendence beyond and a feeling that only the person that feels it, an experience that only the person that experiences it can really describe. And it may be an ineffable experience that's different for every individual, probably is. But really, to go through the first seven limbs, um, to finally be able to experience limb eight is really what Patanjali is preparing us for in his Yoga Sutras and in this eight-limbed path. In order to be able to attain this particular um, transcendence beyond consciousness is the ultimate goal because only then can you appreciate the divine within, um, the energy around us, and all of the other seven limbs as you've experienced them. Very well So there we have it. Very well put. Yes, and the ultimate goal being to move beyond ego and to really realize in a deep way the interconnectedness of all things. I I believe that's what you were referring to by moving beyond consciousness. In other words, your own consciousness, your own mind, and realizing that you're part of something much greater along with every other living thing that you see. That's exactly right. So that's a pretty amazing state to be able to reach. And I think you would agree that there is a lot here. This is very deep and very rich. And the idea is to understand and to have the intention to do the best you can to pursue all of these because you're never going to be in a perfect circumstance and you're never going to uh, attain these perfectly. So that, that shouldn't be the goal. It's really the path and the journey and the intention and the effort that's important. That's exactly right. If your intention is there, sure, we all slip up and we all have good days and bad days, but as long as your intention is there and you are working toward a better, you know, improving yourself, working toward growth, it will all come. It, it will. That's right. Agreed. Now, we covered a lot so far. So you mentioned some resources uh As you were speaking, can you again mention what those are so that our listeners can go ahead and look those up to learn more if they wish? I'm happy to do that. Yes. So there, uh, there's an article on the website expressionsofspirit.com and it's written by William J.D. Doran and it's spelled D-O-R-A-N and the article is called The Eight Limbs, The Core of Yoga. And there's also um, actually, if you, if you just online, if you just in your search engine want to put in the eight limbs path, there are a lot. There's a lot of information online. Um, I also looked up Patanjali, and was given some information. My favorite book regarding the yamas and niyamas is actually called that, the Yamas and Niyamas, and it's 
um, Exploring Yoga's Ethical Practice. That was written by Deborah Adele. Her last name is spelled A-D-E-L-E. And also, if someone wanted to look up Ashtanga Yoga, Ash, A-S-H means eight, and, and uh, Anga means um, limbs. And so if you looked that up also, you would find a lot of information about the eight-limbed path. Wonderful. Thank you, Darla. And that's all the time we have for today. So thank you again for joining us and sharing all of this knowledge about the eight-limbed path. Thank you for inviting me. I appreciate it. It was my pleasure. Hopefully this has inspired some of our listeners to look into this further because we really just scratched the surface and for all of the yogis to move beyond asana in their lifestyle because it's a very deep and rich spiritual science. And any listeners who have yet to try yoga, please consider checking it out. It might just change your life. And if you live in Fort Collins, Colorado, consider checking out Mindstream Yoga. Next week, our guest will be integrative physician, Dr. Christopher Nagy, and he will discuss what happens to your body when you eat GMOs. Mm, That's not good. If you're wondering if you should eliminate them from your diet, this show will probably help you to decide. And until then, let's move the fun over to Twitter at Sandra G. Malhotra, hashtag WeAreGenR. Namaste. Thank you for tuning in to Generation Regeneration with Sandra Guy Malhotra. Please join us again next Tuesday at 3 p.m. Eastern Time and 12 noon Pacific Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. In the coming week, think of the changes that you could make to regenerate your body, mind, and spirit. 